Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode is presented by Fresh Roasted Coffee. Head to FreshRoastedCoffee.com, use the promo code CANWEGET20 at checkout, you get 20% off your first purchase. Head to FreshRoastedCoffee.com today. Hey everybody. Welcome into another episode of Can We Please Talk Podcast. I am Mike Leon. And looking forward in a couple of days to being able to say this directly and in person to my friend, Mike Leon, I'm Nick Severi. That's right. Just a few more days, folks. If you are not subscribed, subscribe to YouTube, follow us on social media, IG, TikTok, Twitter at Can We Please Talk Podcast, Twitter, Can We Please Talk. You'll find out more about the live DC show and all the great guests that are going to be coming on more on that later on in the program for today's show, Nick on the show today. Don't count on that student loan debt relief just yet. Nick and I with the latest from a federal court ruling temporarily blocking the program, plus what this could mean for the midterms, because it sounds like a sound logic and reasoning there to block uh, financial relief for people who are just about getting ready to vote. Uh, later on in the program, New York Times bestselling author Jeff Perlman, he's back on the show to talk to us about his new book that's out now wherever books are sold. It's called The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson, a great book on a figure that at times transcended sports. And then in the blink of an eye, a blink of an eye, excuse me, he was kind of gone from the public spotlight. Jeff will explain later on in the second segment. You know how much you and I love Bo Jackson uh, and just the mythical human being that Bo Jackson was. Uh, he was such a great figure and that book is really interesting. Can't wait to get my paws on that one and read that. Jeff's books are all great, so go check them out. New York Times bestselling author. Uh, some housekeeping notes, Nick. Ask the Experts. If you've never heard of this podcast, check out Ask the Experts, now a partnership with Leon Media Network. The biggest names in boxing and MMA talk to our friend, Kern Bhatia. 
Ask the Experts is available wherever you get your podcasts or stream the episodes live on YouTube. They are presented by DraftKings, a fantastic podcast if you've never listened to it. If you just watched a UFC fight that happened this weekend, Curran had some of the biggest names in the sport covering it and breaking it all down. He's also an on-air talent at Fight TV. Shout out to Curran Batia for joining Leon Media Network. And now Ask the Experts is under the banner. We're proud to announce that new show, so you can go check that out. I'm a big boxing guy. I think you know that. Well, I'm Puerto Rican. I have to be. Uh, Miguel Cotto, obviously, and uh, every other big-time Puerto Rican boxer that's ever come out of there, Felix Trinidad, is just a few names. So I'm big into boxing. I know you. I think you're into MMA. No, you're. You're. I know you're into one of them. I, I, boxing for sure. Uh, right. I know. I, you know, so many belts. I, I lose sight of sometimes, which is extremely one of the reasons I'm excited about current show under the banner of Leon Media Network. Um, again, like our program, really knowledgeable content. You know, for anyone just interested in the fight game, Curran's going to bring all kinds of incredible stuff, you know, to to this network and just continue to put out incredible, you know, content. I you know for me as a fight viewer, you know, I love the programming. I get a chance to watch. I don't really pay for the pay-per-views. I just tend to, you know, see the clips post. But excited, man. I mean, boxing's still the sport that I'm always drawn to. Uh, like I said, you know, Mike, you and I talked about boxing documentaries in the past and yeah. um it's it's a sport that has just a a legacy of its past you've often seen the copy of uh, ali's biography i have behind me um it's a sport that just you can never ignore it you know and even though for all its trials and tribulations and what we always wonder about and same thing with mma i mean there's different leagues feel how you want about the owners and of certain leagues and stuff but you know what current gets to bring here is you know for fight fans to be knowledgeable, knowing about the fights coming up, the inside stories about that, talking to people in the field. That's what he's bringing, like, like we do. <laughs> we talk to reporters. He talks to people in the fight game. So yeah. uh, I'm excited, man. It's just another show for me to subscribe to, listen, and really just raise my fight awareness. So maybe I will spring for that pay-per-view one of these days. Yeah, no, he's great. Uh, go check out that show. Ask the Experts, again, available wherever you get your podcast. If you go to Leon Media Network.com, uh, you'll see more information about Ask the Experts there. Well, let's get into our first segment here, Nick. I have no segue, uh, but the we were talking about the student debt relief program. I know you and I have a lot of uh, different takes on this. We're going to get into our personal side of this. But first off, if you have not applied for a federal student loan debt relief, if you don't know if you qualify, you still got student loans out there that are outstanding, go to studentaid.gov and you can find out a little bit more about the program. But if you didn't hear about this, there was a few cases that have been brought across a couple different states. Um, on Saturday, the Biden administration uh, got a little bit of a blow when uh, a federal appeals court put a temporary hold on the program starting to be enacted. It was barring the administration from canceling the loans covered under the policy while it's still under review. So basically what happened last week, the eighth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, a case that was brought by six Republican-led states, were asking for a preliminary injunction to halt the policy after district court dismissed the case just earlier last week. This effort is separate from those because this is the Wisconsin taxpayers group that's challenging the program. Uh, the Biden administration is facing lawsuits from Arizona Attorney General Mark Bronvinovich and conservative groups that are led by the Job Creators Network Foundation and the Cato Institute. Uh, many of the legal challenges claim that the Biden administration does not have the legal authority to broadly cancel student loan debt. Uh, obviously, he is putting all of this, lawyers have argued, and the Biden administration is doing this, they're putting all of this under the Secretary of Education 
Trump's power to discharge debt in a 2003 law known as the HEROES Act. You can look up the HEROES Act and what that act kind of stands for. Speaking of the education secretary, Miguel Cardona, went on Twitter after the ruling came down with that put the temporary hold on getting this program enacted. He went on Twitter and he said this. First of all, the application is now live and we are so pleased with the interest. We are more committed than ever to provide debt relief to eligible Americans, especially after the struggles of the pandemic. As you know, we've faced more than half a dozen lawsuits, many from places that accepted PPP loan relief last year. But we're not deterred. We'll keep fighting for you and pushing through. The application is live at studentaid.gov. So you heard a little bit there of the education secretary. I was talking about before the, um, the, the Supreme Court, you know, that the ruling that came out October 20th, not blocking Biden's student loan forgiveness, um, conservative justice. I don't know why it lists like that. I mean, I know she's conservative, but Justice Amy Comey Barrett rejected the motion from a Wisconsin group without offering an explanation. Um, that happened on the 20th. Then there was another challenge that happened that was also rejected. This is the third such one where now this is in the federal appeals court that's temporarily putting the hold on this. Uh, Again, if you want to learn more about the student loan debt relief program, whether or not it will go into effect, uh, it's kind of irrelevant right now, but at least you want to uh, at least apply for it and see if you qualify for it. It's for individuals who make less than $125,000 in the past two years, either in 2021 or 2020, or families that have made less than $250,000. Uh, and if you file federal taxes, your income requirements are based on your adjusted gross income, which tends to be lower than your total income. That is according to studentaid.gov. Um, Nick, give me some of your takeaways real quick, because I'm going to play the sound of President Biden talking about some of the hypocrisy here. And you mentioned, uh, you just heard it there in what Education Secretary Miguel Cardona was mentioning about PPP loan forgiveness and some of the people that got that forgiven, but yet these are smaller amounts for middle class, lower income class working families, and this will help uh, wipe off some student loan debt. I have a bunch of takeaways on this because I still have student loan debts, and I think I qualify within that program. Not a flex, but I think I qualify for the program. Maybe, maybe not. We'll find out. Um, that's as much as you get on my financials. Uh, but yeah, like I, I, it's 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 interesting to see the challenges that are being brought up and some of the legalities behind it, and some of the legal arguments that they're making that the federal government can't broadly wipe out this stuff. Yet when the PPP stuff happened and we were going through a pandemic, at least through the first couple of years of it, nobody really batted an eye. Right. And we saw a lot of instances. I know here in Miami, we saw a few local instances of people that abused that, right. That ended up pocketing that money and actually serving time. Uh, give me some of your takeaways. Somebody who's in the education space. I think you still have student loan debt. Give me some of your, you do not have student loan debt. Okay, well, well, 0 for 1, uh, ground out there to short. Um, give me some of your takeaways on on what you just heard. And then obviously the legal challenges that are going around and coming from these six uh, Republican-led states. Yeah, actually, no, actually, why, uh, my student loan was paid off a couple of years ago. So, um, but this program would have certainly benefited me, you know, had, had I had the need. Uh, well, I'm glad I no longer do. I'm, I'm glad that people have an opportunity, you know, that fall within that classification you gave, you know, to be able to have up to $10,000 forgiven. If you also had received a Pell Grant, that could also, you know, be factored toward it. So that could potentially give you up to $20,000 if you're meeting the rev, if you're meeting the income requirements. 
Um, you mentioned 22 million people have applied right now. A lot of those folks are doing it through their cell phone. You know, and let's also think about, you know, the last time we had a website that, that was put forward by the, the White House, um, it was when people tried to apply for the uh, Affordable Care Act, you know, what's also known as Obamacare. And the website was a disaster back then. Yeah, regardless of your political leaning, everyone agreed applying online for the ACA was difficult. Terrible. This program, however, has sounded much more effective. So shout out to web developers at the White House for you know getting getting it right this time. Um, but the important thing is the applications do not stop. While the government may not at this current point with this injunction may not be able to dispense funds, you should continue to apply if you fall within that income requirement. There's absolutely no reason. If you're looking to get up to $20,000 forgiven, and who wouldn't, um, why not? A couple of things to consider here. First, the states that are bringing challenge to it. So the origin of this of this bill comes from the 2003 HEROES Act. HERO stands for, in this case, Higher Education Relief Opportunities for Students Act of 2003. Uh, this is H.R. 1412, um, brought forward by a Republican. This was John Klein, who was the sponsor, uh, Republican from Minnesota. So a couple of things that to take note of, um, you know, the Higher Education Relief Opportunities for Student Act allows the Secretary of Education to waive or modify any requirement regulation applicable to the student financial assistance programs under Title IV. Okay, now we don't need to get into what Title IV is, but here are the four classifications. I think it was four. Yeah, four classifications that people fell into. The first one it's those who are serving in, on, active du- on active duty during a war or other military operation or national emergency. National emergency is important here. Performing qualifying National Guard duty during a war operation or emergency. So the first two really speak to those who are in service, you know, military service. Three, resides or is, in, or is employed in an area that is declared a disaster area by any federal, state, or local official in connection with a national emergency. There's that phrase again. Lastly, for those who have suffered direct economic hardship as a direct result of a war or other military operation, or here it comes, national emergency. So now what, what qualifies as national emergency? Well, that's really what the White House and Congress have figured out. You know, back in 2003, two years removed from September 11th, the country recognized that we had a time of economic hardship. You know, we're in the time of dealing with international terrorism. Um, you know, we're two years removed from the beginning of the pandemic around February, March of 2020. So the White House makes the argument that while we're still in the remaining piece or the remaining stage of the pandemic, you can be able to grant this through the Secretary of Education. Now, Republican states are pushing back on this or making the argument that the White House doesn't have the ability to do that. Now, what's what's funny about this, right? Because on the face, if you are someone who's applying for federal student aid relief, why wouldn't you? you know, why? Wh- what argument is there to not have it? Mike, you mentioned a really int- one of the two interesting parties, interested parties who have helped to bring this suit. You mentioned the Cato Institute. For those of you who are not familiar, you can go to cato.org slash about. And let's read a little bit about the Cato Institute, shall we? Okay. The vision of the Cato Institute is to create free, open, and civil societies founded on, wait for it, libertarian principles. For more than 40 years, Cato has led the charge for liberty in our nation and around the world. Yes, I'm doing a voice here. Our mission is to originate, disseminate, and advance solutions based on the principles of, here it comes, individual liberty, limited government, free markets, and peace. Great voiceover. 
where in the world was the Cato Institute when the Paycheck Protection Program was released? I don't remember them coming forward and saying that was a bad thing. Where was the Cato Institute in 2018 or 2017, I believe, when the previous administration's tax cuts had gone out, which basically benefited you know, wealthier Americans? No word. I always find it funny that those who espouse libertarian principles are the same people who are willing to take those funds from the government under the guise that it benefits businesses as opposed to individual citizens. In this student loan program, forgiveness, up to $10,000 or $20,000 if you have Pell Grants, what the government is basically saying is, look, we got you. For a certain dollar amount, You know, if you qualify, you should apply. And you have institutes like the Cato Institute coming forward and saying, well, this violates a principle of liberty. We should fight against it. Now, the other organization you mentioned was about jobs. Right. So I want to sort of let's connect the dots a little bit here. So we're talking about liberty and we're talking about an organization that this is another organization that is concerned about job creation. Well, let's do some math, shall we? If people, if some people who receive this ten dollars or $20,000 are no longer in student debt and have more access to money, more purchasing power, more opportunities to purchase homes or rent larger apartments, whatever. Well, what are they less obligated to do? Might be to stay in jobs that they don't like. So organizations like that will also worry that if we give people (laughs) financial freedom, maybe the jobs that they have to cling to so much will no longer be the ones that they stayed with, which by the way, we've seen throughout the pandemic. You know, we have absolutely seen what people are terming as a great resignation. And it's for a variety of reasons. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It just simply is. But when you have these organizations coming forward that were silent when companies were getting money through PPP, but now that individual citizens are getting money. And by the way, I don't know where the Cato Institute is on Social Security. I'm, I'm looking at the website. I'm not seeing any pushback against that. So when these Republican governors are going, going forward and picking and choosing you know, what they want the federal government to pay for, I would simply ask, well, what are you OK with? Like, Do you want money from FEMA? So that's good for you because that does go to individual citizens and helping them in time of national crisis like it is in Florida, but not on this one. What is it about student loans that, that, that scares some Republicans? Not all, but some in the, in the case of these governors. And that's the part I'm not understanding. So it's a legal well, challenge. And we'll see well, if it holds any water. But well, real quick, silly to me. I was going to say, it's not only Republicans. There have been some Democrats that are opposed to it. Tim Ryan, notably, uh, I was listening to him recently on Pod Save America, and he gave a pretty good uh, description as to why he was, you know, opposed to this. Um, I forget, I forget what he mentioned, but uh, really Ohio is, you know, a, a state that, that struggles at times um, in terms of, you know, what, what's been happening with inflation from the economic perspective. But real quick on the, you were mentioning about why people are not upset at PPP loans, but some, for some reason, this smaller amount for folks that don't make as much we could argue why that is, uh, why they have such a, why they're in such an uproar over this. President Biden was recently speaking about the student debt relief as the midterms are looming over all of this. And he said the following. Marjorie Taylor Greene, she got over, she and her husband got $180,000 in business loans forgiven from the PPP program. She said it's completely unfair for us to forgive student loans for working and middle-class Americans. Representative Vern Buchanan of Florida said our plan was reckless. Guess how much he got in that program? Forgiven. $2,300,000. 
This is not a joke. Can't make this stuff up. <laughs> it's not a joke. Uh, that's the funny part. It's like he's <laughs> it's not a joke. Um, it isn't a joke. You can look up. I remember that we talked about this. Uh, I want to say a few episodes back before the program got introduced where uh, the White House on Twitter was posting different people that got uh, PPP loans as part of the protection program that were all sitting members of Congress on the Republican side of the aisle. But like I mentioned, I know I know there is one vocal voice, at least from the Democratic side, as to why, you know, maybe some of this doesn't make sense. Uh, uh, and because, oh, I remember why. Because colleges are still unaffordable and colleges have been raising rates, <laughs> which is Tim Ryan's argument. But again, uh, you go check out that episode. I don't want to promote the guys uh, at Pod Save America. I do love them, but I don't want to keep promoting their show. Uh, you had something on the Tim Ryan stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think too. Thank you. And thank you for just dispelling that. I, I want to be clear that where I stand on lo- student loan forgiveness is, is apolitical in the sense of it's not a Democratic thing. It's not a Republican thing. It's about American citizens having more money put in their pockets. Um, it's about a federal government that gives loans, but then applies interest on it. Yeah. Well, real what, quick. What we, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're putting a VIG on loans. Like, what are we doing? Yeah. Well, real quick, because you and I have texted about that. And, and, and this is why I have I, it's not really mixed feelings. It's more of I'm in a different financial place than I was when I graduated out of college. Right. Like I went to a public state university in a state that I didn't live in. So I had to pay out of out of state stuff. And I got some of my loans federally consolidated, right? It's because they were public loans, part of a New Jersey program. And then some of them were private loans that couldn't be consolidated under your typical Sally Mae type of programs. And those were the ones that were kind of raking me. And the federal ones were the ones I was able to at least get down to a reduced amount. So, um, you know, I, I, I have mixed feelings because I think it's more so I'm in a different place than I was 21 years ago uh, economically. And also I can feel for the plight of people that are like, hey, I only got like 15 grand left. I've been paying this, you know, since 2003. And you're sent, you're telling me you could wipe out, you know, at least 10 of it. That would be phenomenal, especially if, you know, if you're making like low six figures or even high five figures and you're just like, like a lot of people in this country, I hate using the, the phrases, but paycheck to paycheck, right? There are a lot of people that are going through that. So I totally get it from that perspective. I'm just, I'm, I'm dumbfounded by why you would be so adamant to argue something when a similar program for what happened for you in the pandemic, if you own a small business, you got your stuff forgiven and you wouldn't be at least at least receptive to, to hearing, oh, you know what? That only wipes out 10 grand for that person. Like I'm I don't I don't get it. Maybe you can explain more on that. And what you would you think of what the president just said there, too? Yeah, I, I love the fact he kept receipts. You know, I think this is a fundamental difference between uh, Republicans and Democrats. Republicans believe that if the federal government is going to give money back, it should give it it should give money back to direct to businesses you know, in the hopes that they will invest back into their people, which ultimately you know, allows their companies to grow and allows people to um, to ultimately make m- more money through the profits of said company. Um, that's essentially trickle down economics, and we have yet to see an example of where that's actually been a successful model. Um, the idea of giving money directly to people is not necessarily a democratic idea, um, but it is a, it's an idea that's not necess- it's not based on business. Uh, a business pretense. It's simply saying as citizens that you should get this money back. My argument's always been that, and I, geez, I sound like I'm on a debate. My argument has been, no, but my point's always been that if people get more money back in their pocket, American folks, 
Americans don't save money. I hate to break this to you. No, Most they, people. There's data around that. There is data. That's true, too. Most people don't save money. If you get extra money, let's go back during the presidency of George W. Bush, right? There was about a $300 stimulus check that had gone out to people, right? There's a whole great bit from Lewis Black about that check. And I'm not going to go into it. But the point of it was when that money went back to people, what do you think they did with it? They just bought more stuff, <laughs> more taxable stuff. Wasn't it, six, for, wasn't it six? Wasn't it six It might have depended on the income bracket. I think, yeah, yeah, I think it was up to six. But you know, regardless of that, like if you're an income bracket where ten thousand dollars is is being lopped off your student loan, that's the other thing too, folks. It's not like someone's handing you ten thousand dollars. It's right. This is not a check to you. No. What it's saying is, if you have a federal student loan, that's important. By the way, what Mike said about private loans is is a big deal because I'll save you all the story. But I co-signed a loan foolishly years ago for a mutual friend of Mike and myself. Uh, and while our friend is making progress, it's a private loan. He's not eligible to have it forgiven yet. Um, you have to make sure your loan gets to basically turned into a federal uh, federal loan. And there's ways to do it. Um, so this isn't for anyone who's getting money from you know a company that rhymes with Mally Say <laughs> or, or, or Flaviant. Uh, I try not to get sued here. Um, but... You know, it's a private loan. Like you're not eligible, sadly. But if you have federal loans, this is the program for you. Um, I, I believe money goes back into the pocket of a consumer. They're going to spend it. They're not going to save it. And ultimately, if they are using it toward the down payment of a home, it just ultimately benefits all of us. Which, yeah. listen, home ownership is a challenge now. There's less access, so I don't know what people are going to do with a reduction in their loans. But what I do know is that it gives people more income power. It gives people more buying power. It gives people the opportunity to, to essentially what it's going to be is reinvesting further into the economy. So I, I, I struggle with this being a bad thing. I guess the argument from conservatives is that, you know, in a time of inflation, why is the government reducing? It's like basically, you know, reducing what money can be taking in, you know, in terms of interest payments and stuff. And that's a horrible way to treat people. Just again, apolitically speaking, it just makes no sense to me. And that's where I stand on. But I think that's where the 22 million people tend to come from, too, who are applying right now. Yeah. Well, like I mentioned, you can head to student loan. Uh, what was the URL? Oh, studentaid.gov. Excuse me. Head to studentaid.gov if you want to find out more, if you qualify, if you still have loans within that certain threshold of 10 to 20 grand for non Pell and Pellet grant. Uh, loans, you should definitely apply for it. Again, more on this as it comes out in the coming weeks. Speaking of in the coming weeks, live in DC, we're going to talk about that in our last segment, what you can expect in our live show in DC. But coming up next, New York Times bestselling author, Jeff Perlman, 10 books this man has written. We love all of them. And the latest one, The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson, a mythical a legend uh, in, in not only our minds and hearts, but for those who were kids of the 80s and 90s, if you watched Bo Jackson play baseball or football in college and in professional sports, you know what a great figure this man was. Jeff Perlman will break down everything with this new book. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
Alright, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. After the break. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. Nick, today's sponsor of the podcast is 800 Florals. Nick, when was the last time you bought your, your wife, your beautiful wife, Flora? When was the last time you bought her flowers? No, it's not recent enough, man. Oh, see, there we go. Why, why, and how come? Let's, let's get into that. Forget the copy for a second. How come? <laughs> I mean, I buy all kinds of different gifts. Um, so flowers sometimes slips my mind. Uh, you know, we do have a rose bush in the back. So I'm like, you know, we got some pretty flowers coming in, but I don't make that intentional pursuit of it, though. Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm looking to you for ideas, though, of okay. where to go get them. Well, I have one. And folks, you should not copy Nick Zuberi. You should be getting flowers for that special somebody that you love. And let me tell you a little bit about 800 Florals. There are roughly 20,000 professional florists in North America that design and deliver fresh flowers on a daily basis. 1-800-Florals is one of those. They've been around for more than 20 years. You can shop products, occasions, check out flower delivery. You can even arrange a thoughtful gift of monthly flowers for that special someone you heard that nick so you can set on auto subscribe here and get monthly flowers delivered to laura's job and you'll be thought of highly over there now uh all you got to do is head to our show notes page right now to find out more about 800 florals there's a link in our show notes page it'll take you right to them use that link and you're going to get a special discount when you check out and buy those fresh flowers check out 800florals.com today All right, Nick, a quick break from the world of news and politics, although we're going to venture back into it with this guest because he is a New York Times bestselling author of nine books, soon to be 10, because his latest book is about someone near and dear to Nick and I's hearts. We're both diehard Raiders fans, as everybody knows. I don't know why. Uh, The book is called The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson. He's also the host of one of my favorite pods, Two Writers, Sling and Yang podcast. You can check it out wherever you get your podcast. Mr. Jeff Perlman is back on the show with us. Jeff, Mike, and Nick, thank you so much for hopping back on the podcast with us. Do you guys want to know a little secret that I never tell anyone? Tell me. Always. Okay. Whenever it says he's the New York Times bestselling author, like you don't say in my bio, Jeff Perlman is the New York Times bestselling author of nine books or 10 books. And it's a little word niftiness that publishing houses do. I had, I've had six bestsellers, right? I haven't had nine. But once you are a bestseller, you can always be a bestseller. So even if I had one, I'm the New York Times bestselling author of 10 books, but I am 
the author of one New York Times bestseller or six, in my case, New York Times bestsellers. Oh. What they do, so they'll call it, he is the blank of blank, but he's actually just blank and blank. Wow. Is that similar to when we see a book that says winner of the Pulitzer Prize, but we're not sure if it's the book that won it or the author that won it? Yes. 100% the same thing. Wow. Look at that. You you learn something new every day. I literally did not know that. I thought all of your books were on the list. And again, I've helped contribute to that because I bought some of those. Um, well, let's get into it, Jeff. Let's get into the new book because okay. I'm super fascinated about this book. I mentioned right now that Nick and I are diehard Raiders fans. Bo Jackson jersey is is hanging somewhere in the 1994 Bronx house that I lived at. Um, tell us a little bit about this book. You were telling us off air. I want to bring it over here a little bit about why you wanted to write about Bo Jackson, the life and myth of this guy who has some crazy tales that you write about in the book. There's one where like, maybe he rescued everybody from a plane that was going to crash. We don't know. Like, tell us a little bit about the book and what made you write, what made you want to write about Bo Jackson? Well, I'm a child of the eighties, you know, I was born in 1972. And when I was growing up, there are certain athletes I had on my wall. And one of them was Bo Jackson. And I think it's really interesting. Like he, obviously you guys know, like he was a multi-sports star. He was a marketing icon and then he vanished. Like he had the hip injury in 1991. He stayed a few more years of major league baseball, but he kind of just went poof. And there's a mystery about Bo Jackson. There really is a mystery. Number one, there's a mystery um, because a lot of the things he did were never seen. Like a lot, they're really last folk hero it's a joe posnanski line he was the first one to call him the last folk hero and it's like because did he really i heard he hit a ball 500 feet no i heard it was 600 feet i heard a dent in a bus man it wasn't a bus it was a fire engine you know it's like that kind of thing there's literally a story in the book someone told me he was playing a high school game for mcadory high school baseball against Fairhope, and he hit a ball so high that by the time it came down in the outfield he was rounding third base and i thought well, that doesn't sound real at all. And I tracked down the outfielder, this kid, Eddie Scott, who played outfield for Fair Hope High School. And he's like, 100% true. I was playing in the outfield. I lost the ball in the lights. I could not find it anywhere. It lands on the ground. It pops up because it was so high up. And I look up and Bo's at third. And there's a lot of stuff like that. So I was just really fascinated in this idea of this mythological figure who we all know about, we've all heard about, we know the facts, but there's so many things we don't know and so many question marks. Bo Jackson, you know, in many ways is, is an accomplished athlete, obviously. But in terms of his career trajectory, would you consider him in that interesting case of essentially of, of what if, like what if he doesn't get hurt in 91, whereas other subjects of your books have, like we've seen sort of where the trajectory takes them to, where they've achieved that level of greatness. Is the mythology of Bo sort of consistent with, what we know about him in terms of his exploits on the field, or in some ways, has it potentially enhanced what we, what we know? Like, is there a, a dissonance between, you know, we're all kids of the eighties, right? Is our memory substantiated by, by what Bo's prowess was, or are we really talking about a person whose career has been mythologized? Okay. So I actually have been thinking about this and you think, who do you compare Bo to? And people say Jim Thorpe, people say Jesse Owens, Deion Sanders, who do you, I think Bo is John F. Kennedy. I really do. And here's what I mean. I think if John F. Kennedy goes on to be a two-term president, maybe he's a great president. Maybe he's an okay president, whatever the case, right? But he's not the legend legend that he is now because he died so young and he died in such a public way. 
that it makes him a million times more legendary. I mean, you saw Tupac on my screensaver. If Tupac is now a 52-year-old rapper, we probably think of him the way we think of Jay-Z, which is a great, great rapper, but it's not like, whoa, what could have been? What could have been? I wrote about Walter Payton. Walter Payton died very young. There's a there's an element of iconic status that we apply to people who die young. And Bo Jackson is very much alive at 60, but there's that same thing to him. It's like, man, he could have been blank. Man, what could he have been? Oh my God, he was so good. If only he didn't get hurt. And um, so I think that's the big pull of it. It's never, I've never written a book like this, where in many ways, the pull is the question mark of the guy. Like that's actually the draw. What could Bo Jackson have been? Uh, Jeff, so the book is out now, obviously, for people to go pick it up uh, wherever your books are sold. Um, for the non-sports fans, I mentioned at, at the top a quick break from news and politics that we cover here on the show. What would Who would you compare Bo Jackson and this fork, folklore legend? You just mentioned JFK, but like, it, 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 can you expand on that? Like JFK in a political sense of because his life was cut short. I mean, that's a little different than Bo Jackson getting hurt. Like wh- who would, if somebody's out there thinking about buying this book and the tales, the fan- the, the fantastical tales that are in this book, a few that I've mentioned, I'm going to ask you a little bit more about, um, who would you compare Bo Jackson, at least to people on the surface that don't watch sports? Paul Bunyan. Paul Bunyan. Bo Jackson is Paul Bunyan. It's really interesting. I did this thing on Twitter. Every day I posted for a week, my top 10 favorite Bo Jackson moments. And number one on the list, and my son and I, my son Emmett is 16. And we had this debate the other day in the car. He's like, it has to be the Harold Reynolds throw. It has to be the Harold Reynolds throw. And I'm like, it's not going to be the Harold Reynolds throw. It's going to be him climbing up a wall, climbing up the wall in Baltimore. And he's like, why? And I'm like, because as great as that throw was, every year there are three or four amazing throws where we think that's the most amazing throw. No one has ever climbed up an outfield wall again. Like no one. That's 30 years ago. We've never seen that again. And you watch it and you watch it and you watch it. And the way he goes vertical up the wall, horizontal and down is preposterous. It is, it's impossible. In fact, I write about this in the book. The next day, all across Major League Baseball, guys while taking BP, shagging in the outfield, were trying to do that. I talked to all these different people I tried doing it. I couldn't get a step up the wall. I tried. I couldn't even get half a step up the wall. No one could do it, right? That's mythology. That is actually sports mythology. When you And even, okay, the throw when he gets Harold Reynolds, an amazing throw, an amazing play, classic top 10 all-time Bo Jackson. If you watch it, and Joe Posnanski pointed this out to me, you never see Bo throw the ball in that video. The video cuts to Harold Reynolds. So even the throw itself, like nowadays, there'd be, Let's say there were 20,000 people at that game. Well, 10% of them would have had their phones out and they would have captured it. The TV station, you would have had two, two teams, both of their networks broadcasting the game. You would have had all different, it would have been all over the internet 10 seconds later, right? He didn't have that. So like there are moments that are just so beyond. I'll tell you, can I, can I tell you one real quick? Um, it's nowhere. It's not a video. I can't find it anywhere. There's no audio of it. He's a junior playing baseball at Auburn. It's their first night game at the University of Georgia. They finally put lights in their crappy field of Georgia. They invite Auburn to play the first night game. Bo Jackson is playing right field for Auburn. Um, the fans in the outfield are mer- behind the fence. There was a hill where people would sit. They're heckling him mercilessly because he's a big deal at that point. You suck. F you. Go back to Auburn. Racist, homophobic, everything you can think of. His first at bat, he grounds out. He goes back to the outfield. You suck, blah, 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 blah. Second at bat, 
first night game in Georgia history, he hits a ball that hits the lights and falls. Hits the lights. He runs back out to the field. The fans give him a standing ovation and start bowing at him, right? We are not worthy. His next two at-bats, he hits two more home runs. His last at-bat, he doubles, and they boo him. None of that is on video. I had it confirmed by a million different people. Again, nowadays, if that game were played, there'd be a million cameras recording it. And we'd be like, oh, that doesn't look that amazing. But there's something about the passing down of stories that adds to a legend, and that's him. I want, like Mike, to encourage everyone to get this book. Because Jeff's an amazing writer, and every book is always just a fun read. You know, um, so I'm not going to ask you for the best story in the book because pff, buy the book, go find out. Yeah, buy the book. Jeff, what the, Jeff? What would be the second best story though? <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Nick. Oh. All right, well, um, that's really funny. There's a, you know, I'll tell you what. There's one paragraph I wrote in this book. I'm actually going to pull it out. It's the funniest thing. One of the funniest things I've ever written. Okay, he, um, he basically like. Oh, okay. Here it is. His, um, he's at Auburn, his career is over and he goes to play in the Japan bowl. The Japan bowl is one of my favorite things of all time. There was a college all-star game and I'll, actually I'll tell you a couple. It's a college all-star game. And, um, they used to fly all these players over to Japan, play a game in a half empty stadium because they wanted an ode to America and they fly back. And Bo Jackson goes to the Japan bowl. And at the time, Bo had a girlfriend named Allison, his college girlfriend. But he brought with him Linda, his future wife, okay? So there's Linda, his future wife, who came with him to Japan, and his girlfriend, Allison, who he was engaged to. And I wrote a little footnote at the bottom of this page. This is page 202. I wrote, even by the standards of inconsistent college romances, it's all truly super weird. The flight to Japan departed on January 5th, and for the duration of the trip, Bo introduced Linda as my fiance. On Fe February 9th, so it's a month later, the Auburn News ran a piece headline, Bo engaged his future bride wind beneath his wings concerning his engagement to Allison. Accompanying the article was a photograph of Bo, arm wrapped around Allison's shoulders. It was taken after Japan. So to review, Bo proposed to Allison, Bo impregnated Linda. Bo proposed to Linda. Bo brought Allison to the Heisman Trophy ceremony. Bo brought Linda to Japan and introduced her as my fiance. Bo was profiled in a newspaper story alongside his fiance, Allison. Like... That's legendary. Legendary. That's just another <laughs> way. It's both. <laughs> and I just want to say also, like, I really mean this. What I kind of dig about it is like, it's not a big deal. Like he was in college. Like it's not an indictment of his character. If you were to see that and be like, oh, I'm so angry. Like my college girlfriend cheated on me. I probably cheated on it. You know, like it's college. Like you do stupid things in college. You're 21 years old. It's not an indictment of his character. Um, I do want to add, and it's a story I really like. After that game, he played in the Japan Bowl. They fly back. He plays in the Senior Bowl. This actually I love. Um, do you guys remember the Miami Dolphin linebacker, John Offerdahl? Not, not off the top of the head, no. Okay. He was a pro bowler with the Dolphins. And it's the Senior Bowl. And Bo Jackson is playing in the Senior Bowl. It's in Birmingham, Alabama. He's getting paid a lot more than the other guys to play. He doesn't need to be there. That's all these college seniors preparing for this game all week. Bo basically... All the other seniors are preparing. He's going fishing every day. He's not even at the practices, okay? In fact, at one point at the picture day, all these seniors from different schools are talking, and they're talking about what kind of car they're going to buy when they reach the NFL. And a plane flies overhead, and Bo goes, that's what I'm going to get. So they play the game, and John Offerdahl is a linebacker from Western Michigan, okay? He's on the uh, 
He's on the North team and Bo is on the South team. And the day before the game, the North coach says to John Offerdahl, if they're at the goal line, they're going to give it to Bo and Bo is going to want to soar over the line. Just be prepared if they're at the goal line to jump right into the line. It's a game day. It's a senior bowl. They're at the one yard line. The South hands off to Bo. He leaps in the air. John Offerdahl from Western Michigan, who wasn't even invited to the game. He was a last minute fill in. Jumps up, tackles Bo, brings him down. His teammates go crazy. Offerdahl immediately goes from a fifth round pick to a second round pick. Winds up making five Pro Bowls. It's maybe 30 years later. Offerdahl runs into Bo Jackson at a golf tournament. And he says, hey, Bo, I'm John Offerdahl. I don't even remember me. And Bo's like, oh, yeah, I remember you. The second day of the golf tournament, John Offerdahl comes with a photo of that moment, a huge framed photo of him tackling, stopping Bo Jackson. And he says, Bo, would you mind signing this? And Offerdahl says to me, I still have that picture hanging in my den. And I go, well, what did he write? And he wrote, to John, never again, Bo. You know, that's a funny story and a perfect segue because you mentioned how many people you've interviewed for this book and the mythology behind Bo Jackson. You were telling us all fair, and I want to bring it over here, but Bo's not a part of the book, not at least any interviews on record with Bo. Um, tell us a little bit about why Bo maybe didn't want to do it. Um, and also, how tough is that to now? Because you've written some stories about folks that you said in the last time you were here promoting Three Ring Circus, hey, I couldn't interview that person. That person was dead. You know, like there, there's tough, to, there's ways to go around it. So tell us a little bit about that process. All right. So first, I got incredibly lucky with this book, which is so I reached out to Bo early on. I uh, wrote him a letter saying that I'm writing this book and I, you know, I grew up loving you, you know, whatever, not loving, but, you know, idolizing you and blah, blah, blah. And he called me one day. I was home and he called me and we had a half hour conversation and he was great. And I'm not just saying that he was great and funny and nice and reverential. He was just cool. And he basically said, I'm not going to help you with the book. I, I have people approach me all the time. It just isn't something that interests me. I don't have a problem with you doing it. I'm just not going to help you. So I said, okay, I totally get it. Nobody owes me. He doesn't owe me anything. And I always say, and I think it's important to say like, you're Bo Jackson. You don't know who I am, right? So some guy comes up to you. Hey, I'm going to write your biography. Oh, how much are you going to pay me? Well, I can't pay you. Oh, all right. Well, how much say do I have in the final product? You actually have no say in the final product. Well, can I at least tell you some things I don't want in the book? And no, you can't. Like, it's a hard sell for a guy like Bo Jackson. Like, what's in it for me, Bo Jackson? Here's how I got lucky. Someone told me, Bo wrote an autobiography in 1990, which I knew called Bo Knows Bo. Maybe you guys read it, maybe not. It came out, it was a New York Times number two bestseller. He wrote it with Dick Schaap, the late journalist, legendary journalist, uh, father of Jeremy Schaap. And someone told me that Dick Schaap donated all his notes to the Auburn Library. And I reached out and for a couple hundred dollars, Auburn sent me all the transcripts from Dick Schaap's sessions with Bo Jackson from 1989. And it's hundreds and hundreds of pages including all the audio files on tape, on a, a drive. So all of a sudden, I have all these interviews that Bo Jackson did when he was in his prime, a huge percentage of them never used. So it was like, I mean, I never say this, but like one door closes, another opens. Like Bo said no, but then here's this trove of information. It was one of the best finds I've had in my life. Jeff, early on, you mentioned something about Bo that we also have to factor in too is beyond the athletic prowess right and obviously as Raider fans we always think about you know just the great runs he had but just Bo's a figure in pop culture you know when yeah. we think about athletes and commercials we often think about Michael Jordan and Spike Lee 
you know, the shoe commercials from the eighties that really launched or was just a watershed moment, you know, for athletes in, uh, in marketing. But Bo also was a prominent figure in the eighties, as far as commercials and pop culture goes. What, what basically brought that, what, what brings that on? I mean, for Michael, it was obviously that pairing with Spike Lee and just the vision and the shoes, obviously uh, for Bo, what, what went into that? I mean, first and foremost, it starts with Nike having this shoe called the cross trainer. And it's supposed to be a multi-sports shoe. And that's how they're going to market. And it came out before they had Bo. And Howie Long was one of their pitchmen. And then a little-known triathlete, a woman triathlete. And nobody really cared about the shoe. Didn't really do very well. And Nike was very instrumental in Bo Jackson playing two sports. Like, they kind of pushed it. They signed him to a deal before he played with the Raiders. And, you know, if you do both, it's going to be pretty good and blah, blah, blah. And the moment, like the moment that I never knew about and it warms my heart. It's one of my favorite stories is it's a 1989 All-Star game, Major League Baseball All-Star game. Bo Jackson is starting. He's a leading AL vote getter, starting in the outfield for the uh, for the AL. And um, Tony LaRusse is a manager. And the day before the game, he pulls aside Bo and Wade Boggs. And he said, Bo, I'm going to lead you off. Wade, I'm going to have you hit second. Just for the moment. Bo would not be a leadoff hitter. He struck out way too much. But for the moment. And they're great. And Wade Box said they worked on a handshake. If you watch a replay of the A9 All-Star game, they do this really goofy handshake. So Bo Jackson's going to lead off. 89 All-Star game. In the booth is Vince Scully with Ronald Reagan, recently done in the White House. They're calling the game, right, for the first few innings. And Nike decided this would be the game and the day where they were going to release the Bo Knows commercial, the one with Bo Diddley, Bo Knows Diddley, with the different athletes saying Bo Knows baseball, Bo Knows football, Bo Knows basketball, that. With Jordan and Jim Everett and all those guys. Okay. All the Nike executives are in New York watching the game at Mickey Mantle's restaurant by Central Park. They're all watching the game. And they've put everything into this moment. The whole All-Star game is a bow-nosed bonanza. They're handing out flyers. There's a huge ad in the fly in the brochure for the game. Bo Jackson hits a second pitch of the game off Rick Rushall, dead center home run. It's a gorgeous Southern Cali California afternoon, blue skies. It bounces off the black meeting, you know, a batter's eye. Fans come screaming out. Uh, a BYU law student falls and gets it, raises a hand in the air. And in Mickey Mantle's restaurant, these people are going apeshit. They're crying. They're clapping. They're hugging. Because this is the greatest single marriage of moment and marketing in modern sports history. And that was where Bo Nose just went, Bush. Jeff, um, before we let you go, a couple questions here for you, because I know how big you are in the politics space. Last time we had your wife on, she mentioned to us she doesn't monitor your Twitter. But luckily for her, Nick and I do. And I wanted to ask you about you've written about some other prominent athletes. Um, and one of them has been in the news. Another one was a famous running back for a rival school of Auburn. I'm obviously talking about Brett Favre and Herschel Walker. You wrote a book about Favre. You were very vocal on Twitter with all the stuff that's happening in Mississippi and the Favre book, telling people don't buy that book because I'm assuming some of the proceeds went to Favre or whatnot. Or if not, you can explain that. But give me some of your uh, early thoughts about the scandal that's unfolding with this former NFL athlete that you wrote about and covered. All right. So first of all, none of the money went anywhere. I, I was just really making the point, like, this guy isn't worth your attention and your time. Like there, he's just not worth it. He's disgusting. And the truth of the matter is, I feel like I failed a little bit too in that the, and we all kind of did like the minute he sent pictures of his privates to a sideline reporter, right. And kind of ruined her life. Jen Sturger, who's a delightful person. Like 
we should have been done with him. You know what I mean? Like, that's great. You can throw a football a long way. That's great. The blah, blah, blah. You're all shucks, Mississippi. Your married guy, one, who sent pictures of your privates to a sideline reporter who's just trying to make it in this business. Like, that should have been the death of Brett Favre in the public spotlight. And it wasn't. We allowed him to continue because we suck. So here he is now, and he's in the middle of this scandal, and he's allegedly basically welfare money in the poorest state in America, funneled from people who need it to build a freaking volleyball arena uh, for, you know, where his daughter goes to school, his, his alma mater, Southern Miss. It is so disgusting. It is so despicable. It, And I always think, like, you played 20 years in the NFL, okay? You had plenty of African-American teammates who grew up in poverty. Did any, And you live in Mississippi, a state where the average, the median income for African-Americans is painfully low. Did any of that rub off on you? Like, did any of being exposed to different cultures rub off on you at all? I'm always amazed when I see athletes who are like, Trump, Trump, Trump. Like, do you not, like, the guy sitting next to you who's from inner city Gary, Indiana, have you talked to him at all? What about the guy whose parents came here from the Dominican? Do you talk to him at all? And I'm just always amazed. Like, how can you be this guy being that exposed to diversity, saying, oh, I love my wide receiver, Donald Driver. I love Donald Driver. I love so-and-so. And yet you don't care about their communities. You don't care about their people. You don't care about their welfare. It's just, it's beyond belief for me. It's disgusting. Uh, I know you're very vocal about it too. I wanted to get real quick your takeaways too on, on Herschel Walker because uh, you mentioned how Bo Jackson is so private and quiet and this this myth about him is very not outspoken, whereas now polar opposite here, Herschel Walker is running for a Senate scene. We Nick and I have covered a little bit of the debates and some of the nonsensical things he has said. Um, I think he was a little bit part of your USFL book. Obviously, what? he was in the USFL book. Yeah. And so give me some of your thoughts about Herschel Walker. It doesn't necessarily have to be in the political space, but just another athlete that's kind of running on this Trump mega platform. So it's interesting. I feel bad for Herschel Walker. And I'm not just saying that in like the trying to find a condescending way to dog someone. Like I actually think he's overmatched here. I think he's out of his depth. I think he's ahead of his, you know, I he doesn't belong here. Like he doesn't belong here. This is the Republican Party taking a guy. I mean, one thing is the Republican Party loves African-American candidates because it allows them to say, how can we be racist? Look, Herschel Walker, how can we be racist? Herschel Walker, and it, he, he's just, he's always been simple. Like he was always a simple guy, a simple-minded guy, a man of very simple routine. I'm going to eat this amount. I'm going to do these push-ups. I'm going to do these sit-ups. And then I'm going to run over Georgia Tech. Like he's not a great communicator. He's never been. And like, I feel like Donald Trump has milked him dry. And like, how can I use Herschel Walker? How can I use Herschel Walker? I'm going to use him and I'm going to run him for the Senate. That's why I'm going to use Herschel Walker. He's just a simpleton. I'm not saying he's a good guy. He's done a lot of despicable things, but he's a simpleton. And it's sad to me. Well said, Jeff, the, the quick elevator pitch for our folks that are listening to this about why they should buy this book. They see it in the bookstore. I asked you this about Three Rig Circus, and then I bought four copies for people in my family. Uh, tell, the, tell the people out there why they should go get this book about Bo Jackson. Because I have two kids and they're hungry. <laughs> That's, I no, mean, wait. No, nothing simpler. I, yeah, I'll tell you the truth. Honestly, I had the other day someone say to me, someone's very political, say, why would you release a Bo Jackson book now? Who cares? The country and blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I'm like that too. I'm very political. But like, Sometimes it's nice to just read and be taken away from your worries and your concerns. I'm not saying the Bo Jackson book is going to change your life, 
But I think his story is fantastic. I think the mythological elements of it are riveting. I think he's a worthy guy. I just think like if you want to read an enjoyable sports narrative that will give you some sort of some sort of appreciation of a guy who worked up and made his way and did some amazing things. He's not a bad choice of a guy. He's much better than Brett Favre to read about. Uh, Jeff Perlman, the book is out now. You can go get it wherever books are sold. Uh, thank you so much again for hopping on the podcast, Jeff. Follow Jeff on Twitter as well, too. Social media, he's a great follow. You're always welcome back. Whenever you write that 11th best-selling book that counts as part of the catalog. <laughs> Thanks so much for hopping on the podcast again, Jeff. All right. Thank you for having me on. Your website should be a marketing asset, not an engineering challenge. Empowering everyone from independent designers to whole marketing teams, Webflow combines the power of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript and places them all in a completely visual canvas. Trusted by companies like Lattice and Discord, it changes the way marketers, designers, and engineers create for the web. Now you can build the site you want without the dev time. Start building for free at webflow.com. All right. Our thank yous there to Jeff Perlman. I, I was fascinated that you can be a New York Times bestselling author of like one book, but you could write five more books and you and it still qualifies for the entire batch. Uh, that's awesome. But check out all of Jeff's books out there. If you're into, even if you're not into sports specifically, and you want to learn more about the way Jeff breaks down people at a human level, uh, this book is going to be fantastic about Bo Jackson. You can go get it out now wherever books are sold. Um, Nick, a quick takeaway on, on on Jeff, his overall body of work. We know how much you love Jeff. He's he's your favorite writer. Yeah. Um, yeah I'm glad you brought up the book about the Kobe and Shaq Lakers. You know, that chapter on Kobe is, is a difficult one to reread, but it's probably one of the best chapters written in the book. And I've, and I've seen a long time. Um, and it really just gives a, a sense of the kind of reporting that Jeff does. You know, I think, you know, it's very easy to look at these sports biographies and say, well, you know, it's about a particular genre that I'm not necessarily into. Folks, if you are if you are just about human interest, these books are for you. You know, all the these nine previous books, the 10th, you know, Jeff was the one who put us all on the Trump before before you know the networks did. If you'd read right. the book on the USFL and you know how the former president dealt with a sports league very much in the way that he's been dealing with the president, his you know previous administration and the situation he's in now. Uh, Jeff's a fabulous writer. We're glad to have him on for a second time and uh, just bring this all to you. Yeah, you know, it's a great book. Uh, the Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson. Uh, you know, we're Raiders fans, Nick and I. So Bo knows that campaign uh, is something that's stuck into my childhood memory. I'm, I'm so happy that, that Jeff was able to share his story and also about the book. Uh, as we wrap here, our live show in D.C., there's no episode this Friday uh, for those of you wondering, but you will see our live show, Washington, D.C. We're filming it Thursday, October 27th and on YouTube over the weekend and into next week. You will see some of the clips of some of the fantastic guests we have coming on the show. We can tease it out now because uh, it's a couple of days before the live show. Nick and I are getting ready to head over there. Uh, we have a roundtable panel of journalists that will be on the program from the Washington Post, from Reuters, from NPR. And then we'll have some former government officials, uh, some that you've heard on this program, Olivia Troy, former advisor to Pence, DHS official, Marie Harf, obviously, who's been on this program, former State Department spokesperson and Fox News contributor, and then Pete Lab, former FBI special agent. And now he's been on the news circuit as well. He's been on Newsy and NBC News now lending his expertise about espionage and some of the work that he's done for the for the bureau. We have one more mystery guest that may be 
making an appearance as well. But we're so excited to talk to our fans, to the journalists that will be coming. Uh, what are you looking forward to in D.C.? Give the people a little teaser here because I've got some surprises uh, for you as well that I'm not going to tell you about when we get to the live show. We're going to play some of these clips um, two years ago. You and I started this program, and that's what we'll be celebrating our two-year anniversary. So come on down to City Tap House in Penn Quarter. What are, you, what are you waiting for here on the DC show in terms of what's getting you amped up for, for the DC show? You no, know, it's, I mean, functionally, the fact that, A, you know, maybe most importantly, you and I haven't been together. We, we haven't been in the same physical space in a few years. Yeah. So it's just excited to just catch up with you, you know, if, you know, after the show, get a chance to get a drink, meet your wife, you know, see the family for a little bit. You'll get a chance to, to meet Laura for the first time, too. Um you know, beyond that, but it's also just being on a panel with some just really intelligent, knowledgeable people. We do the show, obviously, through Zoom, you know, works extremely well, getting all this great stuff out to you all in the audience. Yeah, but for this episode, for this episode, it's especially meaningful to us because we get to be in front of the people that we've talked to before. You know, the people you're going to see on this panel, you know, have really become friends of the show. And it's it's part of the growing family. You know, Mike and I always tease each other about, you know, when we see what we consider, you know, alums, you know, from the Can We Please Talk podcast on all these other major network shows. And and we're proud of that because we're we're proud of the fact that we get to associate ourselves with knowledgeable people, as always. You know, we talk to the people who know what they're talking about. But this time on October 27th, we get to talk to those people in person. No, very well said. I uh, Shout out to Salvi Media, who will be producing the show. Again, follow us on YouTube at Can We Please Talk Podcast. Type it right in. Hit the subscribe button for us. Audio podcast platforms. Make sure you're subscribed. You probably already are. But if it's your first time listening to the show, subscribe. We're everywhere. Apple, Spotify, Google, Good Pods. Shout out to all the folks that listen to us on Good Pods over there. Shout out to Acast, our hosting platform. We can't do it without them. And we can't do it without each and every one of you that listens, watches, writes. Good, bad, or indifferent. You know, I say it every time. We'll see you in D.C. Thursday, October 27th. As always, I'm Mike Leon. Looking forward to seeing folks in person this time. I'm Nick Severi. We'll see you next time. flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. <laughs> 